This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss The Square Ball Podcast Hello there, welcome to the show brought to you with Levi's Listers this one levislisters.co.uk forward slash the square ball what can you find there Michael Normanton? Loads of legal services and information about them Pick, I don't know, three out of, off the top of your head go on Probably Will's probate and conveyance would be the right. three that had come to mind That really comes as a shock yeah. I, uh, I wasn't aware they did those yeah, they do. They do. Um, Any others you want to share? Professional negligence, um, d- dispute resolution. Mm. I've loads of different types of that. Does that predicting a riot? Does that? You see where I'm going with this? Does that it's fall under not, dispute? Not really. No, not really. It's a terrible joke, isn't it? Yeah. Simon Ricks is here from the Kaiser Chiefs. It's Kaiser Chiefs week on the show. Hello, Simon. Hello there. So, I'd like to be in the room while you're doing your uh, <laughs> skit. The skits, the number one skit in the UK. See the shambles in action. <laughs> um, you've just come fresh from the BBC with your podcast over there. Obviously, we're talking about the Chiefs this week. Um, new album is out on Friday. The Easy Eighth album, which isn't easy to say. No, it's part of the. Re- we have the thing where Kaiser Chiefs, which is just two words, but no one can spell it. It's still like we've done twenty years of being Kaiser Chiefs, and there's a football team, and it's just words. And people misspell it. So Kaiser Chiefs and the and the belonging to Easy Eighth album, like that is for most people. You've done it on purpose. It's impossible that. Is it a nod to the uh, the difficult second album as well as as the title? Yeah. So we sort of thought the difficult the second one's meant to be difficult. And like for me, like making the sixth one and the seventh, like was going grey and losing my hair and just being mega stressed. And I think we kind of just thought, why are we doing that to ourselves? You know, in COVID. And it just sort of everything stopped. You're like, oh, we could just, you know, make some music, release it, enjoy it, be happy, that kind of thing. So we just tried. It, the reason it took quite a long time, it took, this is the longest gap between Kaiser Chiefs albums. Right. So is that, is that when the process started back at sort of around COVID times? So yeah, just as we were coming out of COVID, like basically the idea was we were going to do a greatest hits again, because we'd done one like maybe 10 years ago, maybe a little bit longer. Be lazy, do two or three songs, do a release, go on tour. Um, but then we worked with, this guy, Amir Amor, he's a producer, he's in Rudimental. He produced this song, How to Dance, which we work with Nile Rodgers. I'm sort of doing this in a bad order. Nile Rodgers approached us. We were like, yeah. We'll, we'll get to Nile Rodgers because he's cool. That would be yeah. great to do a song together. He brought Amir in and Amir was like, I love that. Why don't we make a record, like an album? And we were like, mm, yeah, good idea because kind of a greatest hit seems like a weird 
idea actually in the sort of Spotify era, doesn't it? So then we started making an album. Yeah. Yeah. I guess it's changed so much, hasn't it? The the whole process of of making music and the way that like you say you're talking about tours then and going on tour, that's where the money is, isn't it? Versus the versus the actual like the streams. Because I was listening to the songs on the on the way in just to sort of get in the right frame of mind for it this morning. I was thinking, well, that's another not point not not four pence that uh, that Simon can trouser after I've listened to uh, I predict a riot and Ruby. Yeah, it's much better to do a gig, and also you're doing something, and also you're seeing everyone's smiling faces. Yeah, so that's all good. Really, I was smiling when I was listening, though. Good, good. <laughs> but also, I think Spotify. I think you know sometimes I think it is bad in some ways, but also for us, like say Ruby, for instance, which streams like I don't know a million streams a week or something like that. It's got two hundred and sixty-three million. I think I noticed this morning. That's Good. a lot, isn't it? But that money is bonus money because we've already sold, like in the past, you would sell the, like you get it played on the radio and get some money from that and you maybe some people would buy CD singles, remember those? I do, yes. And, uh, but then that's the end of that money, do you know what I mean? Whereas now, it's kind of like a trickle forever, which is as good for us older <laughs> veteran artists. Eighth album, did you, did you think you'd get this far? Uh, I think once we got to... Five. That's part of the easy eighth as well. Is like I think once you get to the about five or something, you can do what you want. Yeah, you, you could make a hundred if you want. But it took us till we were like twenty six, I think, to make get anyone to back us to make one album. We made one album when we were like twenty two. We got signed to as Parva, and we made it, and it got made. The CDs were printed, and then it never came out, and it got pulped. Right. Alan Partridge style. Did you, did you sit there? Did you go to the factory and watch your bean pulled? No, we got asked <laughs> if we wanted to buy it and we were just like, with what money could we buy these CDs off you because we've got none because right. our album didn't come out. So yeah, it got pulped. Have is... you got one though? I've got some. Yeah. Right. So, so it could be a collector's item. Like it got sent, it was so close to getting released, I can't understand why it didn't get released because like they sent out, you know, the radio copies. Yeah. So there was like quite a few knocking about, like maybe a thousand or something. And then they just pulled it. What was on it? Did stuff get reused then? No, no. It's like when we started Kaisers, one of the things was scrap all the songs. Same people. Peanut moved to keyboards rather than keyboards and guitar. And, and Whitey just guitar rather than keyboards and guitar. And yeah, new songs. And like we had some new ideas and also um, some clothing um, rules. <laughs> Go on. No jeans was one of them. Right. Uh, I can't remember the others. There's something about jumpers, but I don't remember, but no jeans was the main sort of, because it sounds weird, and I think, but it was kind of good. We were reacting to being the, to be the opposite of what was happening. So right. in Parva, my criticism of Parva is always we reacted to what was going on. So one song would be like, I don't know, The Strokes, like Garage Rock or whatever, and one song would be more, I don't know, like Beck or something, like other things that were big at that time. And then with Kaisers, and then all the bands at that time were like denim clad or leather jacket clad. And so when we started Kaisers, we were like, we're going to be like British. And we're going to have big sing-along choruses and we're going to be like sort of like the specials and madness, and that sort of scene. And we're not going to wear jeans because that's what everyone else is doing. And that was sort of the, the theory behind it. it it's last. just an image, isn't it? It's, there's nothing wrong with that. Just cultivating an, an image. I was just thinking about it really, which I think is, you know, it sounds a little bit, now I've said it on the, out loud, it sounds a bit, you know, whatever wanky too, too regimented if you yeah know it I mean. does but, but, but it, it also makes sense as well particularly when you know you're of that age and i've realized like from reading up on the albums and stuff we're exactly the same age like we were in the same school year me and you most of the chiefs mm. are that same year born in 77 or 78 yeah so i would have been the same age listening to it as you were making it and i was an idiot when, <laughs> when those well you know when but like employment was out don't do yourself down you're still an idiot 
I'm a, yeah, but I'm a slightly older idiot now, Michael. And um, no, it's, it's quite an achievement, isn't it? But to have the foresight to think, well, we're going we're gonna to stand for something. We're going to stand for an identity. We're going to look different um, just to set ourselves apart in a really subtle way. It's not something I would have necessarily gone along with at that age. I, I you know, very much swept along by the fashions of the time, I remember, in the mid-2000s. Yeah, I think we were just sort of like, we'd had a lot. It was a, you know, Parva was like a load of disappointment, getting thrown disappointment after disappointment after disappointment, basically. And all your dreams getting shattered. So I think after that, we were like, okay, we all wanted to, like, what was one of the good things that's happened a couple of times in the Chiefs' career is we sort of got everything taken away from us. And then you, we made this sort of decision to keep going. So like everyone's enthusiastic and everyone's on the same page. It's like, okay, well, what are we going to do differently this time? What can we like learn? From like, and I think Pavel was a great, it was like, um, I don't know what they call it nowadays, but like a young apprenticeship or whatever, you know, like we went off, we did some touring, we made an album, we did some press, like we did all the things you have to do in a band in a situation where there was no pressure because no one was watching and no one was listening and no one was bothered. So then when we started doing it as Kaisers, we were like, oh yeah, now to do this. So you kind of learnt your craft. Yeah. You still having fun doing it? Uh, yeah, most of the time. I think it's still, even though we caused the Easy 8th album and in the whole thing was to make it stress-free, it's still a bit stressful. But I think when we get together, I was just on the phone to one of the Kaiser Chiefs before and I was having a nice time and we were having a laugh, you know? Like I think it's when we were, I was describing someone else the other day, when we were like 18 or whatever, 19, we just spent every day together, every night in the pub or elsewhere, you know, like, and everything was about the band and talking about the band and naming the band or thinking about the band. And then obviously went on tour together. Like, then we were successful. We were just together all the time, all year. And we spend a lot less time together nowadays. Like uh, people live in different places. People got families and kids and all that stuff. But when we get to a gig, like next Friday, this Friday, this Friday, we'll be in Leeds doing a gig. And as soon as we get there, I think there'll be excellent banter and laughs and we'll all enjoy playing the songs. Still really love playing the songs together and... You know, yeah, it's so. interesting that like I look at parallels with my own life, and do like do you experience this? Like you don't see your mates as often. Like you know, we're all kind of married off our own relationships, have kids, and so on and so forth, whatever it might be. And yeah, as you as you sort of creep towards middle age, responsibilities become greater. You know, life your lifestyle changes, doesn't it? And I don't see my mates very often. I probably see my best mates like once every six months or whatever. But then when we do get back together, you just fall into that same groove. The same jokes still exist, albeit you've just got a lot more responsibility. But then you flip, I guess, between that to going on tour and then you're seeing each other too much. <laughs> how's, how's, yeah, how's touring changed though for, for you? Because it can't be the same as it was then, surely, in your 20s. No, it's a bit more sedate, a little bit more uh, less drinking and less... Uh, but still the same, like, I think it's, it's, it's really weird. Like, we can be somewhere really brilliant. Like, we'll be in Barcelona with all of what Barcelona's got to offer and then we'll be sat in a dressing room together just for 10 hours and then do, go do a gig. Because we like, I did, I, it's it's a weird thing because I think because we don't see each other as much maybe anymore or just because we're lazy maybe or whatever, maybe because there's free food at the venue, I'm not <laughs> sure. We'll just hang out together and have a nice, have a have a good time and talk about, I don't know, I always think when we're together, that's, that's the times when we get stuff sorted as well, you know? So because we aren't together as much, email is fine. Isn't it? But yep. if you want to get stuff sorted, have good ideas, be creative and stuff, being together is the main thing. So... Yeah, and also nowadays we'll do, like we used to be, we'd be on tour for six weeks, come home for a day, see your girlfriend, go away for six weeks, come home for two days, whatever, it's Christmas, go away. Whereas now we'll, it's a lot more, we'll do three weeks and then we'll be home for a month or whatever. So it's a, there's a, even though we're together for those three weeks, it's still rarer that we're there together. So it's still the same, I think. 
Right, well, let's do the uh, the competition plug as well. So there's a clue coming out each day this week. It's part of the Kaiser Chiefs week here on the podcast. And that's why Simon's here. The Easy 8 album is out this coming Friday at the time of recording. That's the 1st of March, 2024. Contributions from Niall Rogers, which I think we should definitely speak about in a minute or two. And the Cribs on there as well. You're in to do the show. I want to find out about I Predict a Riot in a minute or two because that has become anthemic around Leeds United's uh, title charge. We're calling it a title charge? Yeah, we are now, aren't we? We are. Until Saturday. All week long to celebrate the eighth album, you can win this huge Kaiser Chiefs prize pack. It's the eighth album, so there are eight things in it. Three copies of the new album, tape, CD and vinyl. Two tickets to see you on your upcoming headline tour, which starts when? Friday. This coming Friday. So if they win on Friday... You could be there that night. And they're in Leeds. They could come to that gig, but they'll have to be quick. <laughs> there is a limited edition Kaiser Chiefs football shirt that you've had produced to mark the album, which is good. They've all got number eight on the back. Eight on the back. Love it. Um, there's an art print, and we're going to give you a merch voucher as well. So eight items in that prize pack. Monday to Thursday this week, this is how it's going to work. Giving you a clue, write down the number, add them up across the week. And then on Thursday, I'm going to give you details of how to enter, but you've got to enter quick as well. The competition closes at midnight on Thursday into Friday as well. So that's the 29th into Friday the 1st. Winner will be announced on Friday, Friday the 1st of March, when the album is out. Um, Terms and conditions do apply. Details see kaiserchiefs.com. Right, so today's clue. This is very, very difficult. See if you can can figure this one out. Elan Melier's shirt number. Yeah? You've got that in your mind? Keep that in your mind. Plus the number of goals he's scored this season at the time of recording as well. So hold that number in your mind, work out that really, really difficult sum and write that down along with the two clues that you've had so far for, for Monday and Tuesday. And you could be you could be seeing the Kaiser Chiefs in Leeds on Friday, if you're lucky. We've got one more clue to do, which will be on Thursday on the weekly show, which is another, another fiendishly difficult number, let me tell you. Is, these are going to be a premium rate phone number at the end There's of the not. Because <laughs> that's what it used to be, didn't it? It'd be a nice, easy question, but yes. it's 50p a minute, however. But None it, of that. It's free to enter. It'll be free to enter. You will be chucking as an email, basically, is about the size of it. And then we will pick one at random. So keep hold of those numbers, as well as the ones on Monday and Tuesday shows with Phil and then Propaganda as well. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. 
Right, back to it then. Let's talk about I Predict a Riot. And it was blasted out the speakers at full time against Leicester last Friday night. And it's sort of quietly weaving its way into the fabric of this season. And if this season turns out to be a good one, it will be possibly remembered as as being a little kind of cog in the machine, won't it? The, that, that song, I Predict a Riot. What did it feel like to be sort of stood there full time on Friday and one of your songs is being sung by the whole stadium? Yeah, it was absolutely really brilliant. Like one of the best things ever. I, although just being me being me, I was like, God, this first verse is long. Do you know what I, mean? I just wanted <laughs> it to get to the chorus because I know it would properly kick off in the chorus and the second half of the first verse, maybe not everybody knows the words for. But that's right to get to. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but then the video that Leeds put out, it seemed like Cop at least knew all the words. So that was, yeah. And it was really good. That I mean, obviously, for me, um, wasn't very brilliant at football. Played at primary school, or whatever, but then gave up pretty quickly because everyone was better than me and I was better, maybe spending more time in the music room. Uh, but always supporting Leeds. And then there's been a few things that we've been able to do that have sort of, sort of for me, make us part of the, you know, I don't know, Leeds United adjacent or whatever the right you word sort of, would yeah, be. You've kind of aligned yourself with it, haven't you? Yeah. So like playing at the 100th uh, birthday party, doing the Josh Warrington, playing at that as well. And then, yeah, when obviously they used to come out to, come out to where I predict a riot uh, in the Bielsa seasons which was amazing you know but obviously I don't know Ellen Road they can never get the they can they just cutting it off aren't they cutting it get the Premier League out I was going to say but yeah, yeah because I, pred- I predict a riot it needs the big extended woo for it to, to be right on the money yeah defo so yes Friday was just perfect really and I, uh, I thank, thank thanks to the 36 well 35,000 people because I presume the Leicester fans were singing Kasabian they'd mainly gone by then yeah, to be honest the they were humming, humming Kasabian stuff as they walked back <laughs> to their cars and to the uh, and to the trains as well but yeah one of Kasabian is a Leeds fan though do you know that oh right the bass player is Chris who I texted not Serge though not Serge but did Chris have a word with Serge do you hope uh, Chris said he was in the pub with uh, in Leicester because he does live there and uh, he was getting pretty angry so he left <laughs> alright oh dear <laughs> <laughs> there's a little bit fine there's a long way to go yeah <laughs> poking with a bit of a stick but yeah that's that it's got to be one of the kind of like seminal moments in your life isn't it obviously you've played the stadium as well which is a special moment but for it to be so yeah so closely aligned with football I think is it was pretty magical and when it came on I, I kind of went oh, yeah this is nice yeah because they were playing it after every win weren't they a little bit but then we weren't getting that many wins and I felt like uh, th- when he did that I didn't really enjoy it but uh, when against that match that it couldn't mean anything for me personally it ended and obviously that last sort of 20 minutes so like from when we scored the first goal including all injury time and everything that last 20 minutes was absolutely amazing in the stadium wasn't it and particularly when it got to be 2-1 up the sort of mixture of like tension and I don't know passion and whatever was going on there was amazing and then for I didn't think it was going to get any better and then yeah everyone playing Abdict right and everyone's singing and like I wasn't really singing I, I thought it was funny because for me for once I was observing Abdict Riot we playing the bass in the kind of <laughs> thinking about the bass line but actually because usually I can watch the audience but I've got to think about playing but on that occasion actually the difference was I was just like oh wow this is real I, I just was enjoying it as a moment and I think going back to like what I was talking about when we first started Kaisers we just wrote Abdict Riot in a rehearsal room in Holbeck like just as you know it's not very nice we still go there Old Chapel in Holbeck offer all your rehearsal room needs they <laughs> yeah. do go there we're not getting a cut of that but you know. I was going to say you can't do that on that bloody BBC <laughs> podcast can you <laughs> come on here we'll but, whore ourselves off for anything but uh, 
yeah, you don't, you know, we just wanted a song that was good live, you know, good to play live and that people, a few people might buy or like or whatever, jump around to sing back. We sort of knew it was a good song, actually, but you wouldn't have thought, you know, 20 years later or whatever, you'd have a whole of Ellen Road singing it. And also, I mean, I said this on the B podcast already, so Archie, my favourite moment was that Sky tried to grab Archie and Georgie, didn't they? And Jordan, I think, from from Leeds was like, now let them go celebrate. And they just ran off into the corner and they were just dancing to Ivory to Riot. And I was like, that's an amazing moment for me. And then I was like, so neither of them were born when we wrote it. Right. <laughs> That's dispiriting, isn't it, as an old man? <laughs> well, but also good that, good they seem to still know it. Well, I was going to say, yeah, there's, there's so much joy in the youth of, of Leeds, isn't there? Like seeing Georgie and, and, like, and Archie. And like, yeah, so it's just so, just what nicely woven itself into the into the fabric. And for anybody who doesn't know, it's, it's basically about a night out, which could be Leeds. I guess it could be any city, couldn't it? But uh, the, uh, the sights and sounds that you see in the early hours of the morning it speaks to me as well because I used to be like a nightclub and a bar DJ and I'd be walking back to my car completely sober after finishing my night's work just watching the chaos unfold and I was like yeah that, that's what my Saturday nights Sunday mornings used to be like yeah I think so it's partly based on Nick the old drummer and I think Ricky as well was in the car and them driving past Majestic so there's a nice Leeds United link for you yeah. uh, doing exactly the same thing having DJed and being sober and then seeing the, the carnage of a Leeds Saturday night but yeah it definitely could be any city, I think. Uh, I think it translates. And I just think it's, but it is funny for Georgie, who's like, you know, some French 20 year old. 21 years now, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To be like singing and dancing along. He's an unexpected twist. Yeah. And he's, he's just quietly in his own way, becoming a horse owning <laughs> hero, isn't he? I absolutely love, the, love him. He's great fun. Just to go back to Friday, because I, I think I tweeted after it saying, there's, there's nothing in my life that compares to it, that madness of it and the adrenaline from it. You've obviously been in, on stage in front of tens of hundreds of thousands of people at times at festivals and stuff. How does that compare to it? Is it is it the same in some ways or is it just completely different? Because I guess the, at a gig, you kind of know what's coming to an extent, don't you? Whereas football, I don't think anyone saw that ending coming with 15 minutes left on the clock. Yeah, well, I always think that people compare football and music quite a lot because I think people, a lot of people you know, are into both and the big crowds and all that stuff. But I always say that, with a gig, basically, you always get the happy ending of like, you have a nice time, you hear the songs mm. you want to hear. Whereas football, like Friday for me was why I go to, it's why you go to football. You go with loads of hope to win. There's some despair. And then in, in the end, there's some amazing, you know, scenes basically and everyone jumping around and going crazy. Whereas, you know, like a gig, yeah, to some extent, we know that most times that we'll play like Ruby and the big hits everyone's like a certain section of the crowd's going to go crazy. It's controlled emotion, isn't it? Like you kind of, yeah, you know that you're going to play one of the biggies towards the end or in the encore or whatever. But being a player, you know, it's a little bit like being a player. Like when you score that goal and you've got the adrenaline and you've been the catalyst for a load of people going crazy is is strange. And I think it kind of compares to early gigs where we weren't really expecting it. So I remember like the first time we played Glastonbury, we used to play this festival Tea in the Park, which has stopped. But first time we went to that, and the album had come out, but we'd been, like, so 2005, album's come out, but we were in America so much that year that we hadn't really done a gig in the UK since it came out. We went and did a load of festivals in, like, May, June, and every one, before we went on stage, there'd be, like, a huge scream, which never used to happen when we were playing in Lincoln to two people. <laughs> and then we were like, oh, okay, that's weird. And then we'd get on stage and, like, play the first note, and from the first note to the end of the gig, everyone sang every word and everyone was going mental. I mean, I've got chills now. It's great, isn't it? <laughs> Just, it's great being part of that. 
So I can't imagine what it must be like to be on the receiving end of it. But also, we talked before, didn't we, about go to sleep and stuff. And I think in that period of time, when we were doing these amazing shows, every, like almost every night, it was difficult to come down from them. You know, you'd be overexcited and all that stuff. And um, I think someone else talked about it, but the maturity of Archie to like score your first and probably winning goal. And it is his Ellen goal, Rose. by the way. It's his goal. Good. Yes. I'm giving it to him. He's definitely got it. And then just go, okay, now I've got to play left back, which isn't my position for the next, whatever, 20 minutes and be absolutely like on it and level-headed and whatever. Just, At 17. It's like unbelievable. I think um, Ampadu was doing such a good um, captain's job, wasn't he? Yeah. On the Friday night. But yeah, just, I would, like we were kind of a bit older. So I was like 25, 26, 27, maybe when all that stuff was happening. And it was still mental. Like you were saying, you were an idiot when you were that age. <laughs> I mean, I think I was too, you know, if we'd have been successful, I always say this, we were successful a little bit late. I'm grateful because if we'd have been successful, successful when I was 17, then I would be a different person. <laughs> but I've just realised actually, like when you, so when you were 17, I would have been 17 at the same time. You went to St Mary's in Menston, mm. the school, and we played against them. So I went to Hanson in Bradford, but we played like in the Yorkshire League. So you were saying, but you were, you were more music room than, yeah, than football pitch. I so I, I wouldn't have played against you. But I remember my last ever goal for school was against St Mary's I can oh, remember I still talk about it don't they yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, Dan Moylan's last ever goal <laughs> when retired, he retired the shirt and all that shuffled through and I slid and just kicked it past the keeper not dead hard it was quite a, mm. a, a loose shot not very hard it goes in it's all, yeah they all count don't they but um, so you you weren't in the school Sorry, team you, did not, you did not beat me no, no. but uh, some of my friends I'm sure and like they were quite good I think Leeds uh, St Mary's were pretty good we had some uh, good footballers A.D. White from uh, I've heard of him my school and also, uh, where did Tom Tyo go? He, he was one of the Chelsea lot, right? Yeah. Yeah, ended up at Carlisle and in Scotland for a bit. Not probably, I think, not probably the height of his ambitions there playing at Carlisle, but still, uh, he, he did all right for a bit, didn't he? Uh, yeah, he went there as well. Because I, I remember when we went back to some, the only time I've ever been back, maybe 2007 or something, and he, Tom Tyo's picture was like firmly in place <laughs> as a Chelsea player. And it was like a few years later, yeah, maybe, maybe what, they're taking that down. What was it like going back then? When you got uh, back then, to school, then yeah. it was it was it was it was kind of wild, really. Because also, there's a yes, I don't know about all schools, but that school, when we were that going there, it wasn't like music was like very much a side issue, and we were allowed to go in the music room at lunchtime and stuff. But like we eventually there was a drum kit. We sort of I don't know really, I can't work out how it happened, but there wasn't much gear. There was some encouragement, but only in a sort of like yeah, go for it, do what you want. And when we went back, there was like a drama department and a music, a huge music department with all instruments yeah, yeah. and all sorts of like motivational uh, words on the on the wall and all that stuff. I was like, ah, oh, this this wasn't here when we were here. Yeah, so. it's, it's a shame. Actually, I mean, we're getting sidetracked away from it, but there's been a bit of a swerve away from music at school level now because they're all falling in line with this English baccalaureate thing, which I don't know if you're familiar with it, but it's it really penalises the arts. You know, when you, you choose your options for when you do your exams and stuff. You can only basically do one of the arts. You can't do more than about one of them because they want more academic subjects. It's probably like, you know, box ticking and KPIs and all that sort of stuff. So you can't do like drama and music and something else at um, a lot of schools. I know that we, because like my daughter's quite, she's she's a, a performer and she's ended up doing drama, but she wanted to do music as well because she's a good singer, but she was unfortunately denied the chance to. It's a shame, isn't it, that kids are probably missing out on stuff that they're good at because, I don't know, schools have to make sure that they meet a certain number of targets in certain other areas. It's a shame, but I think you can just do it. A lot of that stuff is good if, good to do just anyway, you know? Like it's, I sort of don't like the fact, I mean, part of the reason maybe that 
doing the podcast and stuff is sort of my hobby was always music and then it became my job and it's all serious and it's sort of ruined for me slightly because like I go to a gig and I'm like looking at what the guitar tech's yeah. doing and not enjoying the song, you know? It's like, whereas football is still like, you know, something I can just enjoy and be passionate about and be a fan, you know? So I think sometimes it's not having maybe the pressure of school and having an exam and everything, maybe that's even to some extent better. It's just if I know that like, you know, kids are, find it, you know, I would encourage kids to like, learn stuff when you're young you know like piano like I wish I'd learned piano when I, I got a friend who had like piano lessons you know when he was young and can play a piano and hated it at the time but now he can do it and like I'm like I can't do that because I never actually knuckle down and just learn it you know too busy being cool on uh, on bass mind you I've just listened to um, I'm in the process of listening to Dave Grohl's uh, autobiography and he taught himself to play drums on his pillows just by banging around without a drum kit so it can't be done can it just pick up some sticks or a I mean, bass guitar is not necessarily quite as easy without a bass guitar. Uh, no, I mean, that, <laughs> one of the reasons I got, I'm the bass player is because I was the only person in the, you know, region with a bass, which I just, <laughs> someone had given me a bass and was like, okay. So then I was the bass player, but I never had any lessons. I don't, I mean, like, I think it's good to get lessons, but I don't think it's necessary. I think if you want to be a musician, just playing in as many, play the guitar or drums or sing or whatever, with as many different people as possible is my advice because that right. is the best way of learning. Broad experience and all that. How was, how was the podcast going then? Are you sick of carrying um, Johnny and Popey yet? Or? <laughs> <laughs> and I, yes, I'm doing that on purpose. It's very good. We, I, I mean, we uh, we have a good time, I think. All right? I mean, like my role is kind of weird because I'm the fan and I think I'm meant to be the most outlandish, but a lot of the time I'm being the most positive. <laughs> <laughs> and then... Know, we're similar Johnny's a good host similar to you're a good host and thank you Popey's a good expert summariser like me yep <laughs> very similar yeah, yeah. similar yeah. you've used on the football almost identical yeah there's mischief in Popey isn't there there's a little bit of mischief in him that um, we could do more of uh, yeah. seeing more of very not really on the BBC no he kind of <laughs> keeps himself uh, in check but you know yeah. you know that you know that you know there's a good night out if you if there's a stag do ever and Popey's on it you know that he's last to bed. So why why do the podcast in the first place? What was it about it that kind of made you think, ah, do you know, I fancy giving that a go and sticking with it? Because it's quite a commitment, isn't it? Uh, yeah, I don't, it's a great question. I don't really know. Just because they asked really. And I thought they were asking me, do you want to come on this, we're going to start this podcast. Do you want to like be a guest on it? And I'd be on like once every six weeks or something like, you know how they do West Yorkshire Sport, whatever on the evening. And then when we started doing it, it was like, oh, it's it is just it's just me. Okay, fine. Okay, why why am I qualified for this job? Yeah. Um, I also think that like for me, I think it was a challenge as well because um, when I was younger, kind of hated speaking. Like uh, always in Kaisers playing the bass is kind of kind of perfect for me. Where it's like a bit of singing, but mainly just stand around, try to look cool, <laughs> play the bass. You know what I mean? Just like sort out some bits and pieces. I sort out some bits and pieces in Kaisers, you know, behind the scenes and whatever. I think bass players are often, often sort of like a bit organised in the band and stuff, but a lot of interviews and like being funny and being on the radio and all that stuff, I sort of avoided it because I didn't really like public speaking or make it like doing a best man speech or whatever. It used to be like my worst possible nightmare. Yeah. So for me, I think it's part of its challenge of like doing something different. Yeah, it's going to sound like when you look at, when you contrast it with Rick, who's who does radio, it feels like a natural fit for a frontman, doesn't it? Yeah, he was like built for it, wasn't he? Just sort of that's that's kind of his thing, kind of well in his wheelhouse to just sort of be there and like 
I don't know about interviewing people, but yeah, just like, you know, introing songs and doing all that stuff is definitely like his thing. So yeah, I think I was sort of trying to put myself out of my comfort zone. And like, part of it's also like, I spend a lot of time talking about leads on WhatsApp groups with people about leads, absorbing information about leads. So like, it's an outlet. It's sick, isn't it? I'm, I'm exactly <laughs> the same. It's just, it it's probably takes up, what percentage of your life does leads take? Or your, or your thoughts, thought time anyway. It's like that meme, isn't it? Of the, of the couple laid in bed when the, the girlfriend or the wife is huffing and she's turned over. I bet he's thinking about another woman. And it's that scenario of him thinking, well, if we beat so-and-so on Friday and then the, this, they drop points, it's that meme. It's, it's, it's absolute hype after a game like Leicester where you just get caught watching clip. Are you watching another clip of that? Yeah, yeah, yeah it's just a, from a new angle. There's someone in the northeast corner's got some new, I found some new footage. Stadium noise or commentary, isn't it? And that, yeah, my wife does exactly the same. She'll like, are you watching it again? <laughs> no, yeah. it's different to this yeah. one because this one's from the from the West Stand. I've not seen this one yet. It's, it's the same thing. Yes. But you were there. Over and over again. I do acknowledge. But she, I mean, to be fair, she does understand completely and just sort of leaves me to it and understands that this will consume my, my most of my weekends. There's also unlimited amounts. After Friday night, there's like all loads of people texting me, especially with the I particular right stuff. Loads and loads of texts, loads and WhatsApps and whatever. Emails, do all those, look at all those, see all those clips. And then like, I'm sure you guys have got more, but like a few, you know, Leeds United groups that are constantly updating with a, like a new angle, whatever. Then if that actually, you know, goes out then you've got all of the social media then you can always have reddit as you sort of like back up there's enough nothing new else to see you know sort of sort of it's just kind of football is just mad and also did you think friday night was sort of like the championship to me is a step down obviously and like the amount of coverage on leads and it's harder to see the games and all that stuff but friday night was worldwide event where i got texts from people in like italy and australia and america like all over the world, people who'd been watching the game. Yeah, because there was no other alternative game on that night, was there? That's the thing. And I guess it, uh, the timing of the game allows people to catch it like on, on a Friday afternoon on the East Coast of the United States, that kind of thing. And because it was due to be, I think Tottenham were due to be on on Friday night, weren't they, against Chelsea or something like that? But because Chelsea were in the League Cup final, the weekend's fixture got postponed. So it's, yeah, it was it was the singular. I mean, there was another championship game on at the same time, but let's face it, who cares? Um <laughs> <laughs> but, but it's a poxy division apart from us really let's face it yeah that's that's fair balanced and won't get clipped by fans of other uh, other clubs at all but um but no it did yeah it, fe- it felt massive and i don't know maybe that just because it was it meant so much to us but I, I was i was getting messages from people watching it in the states and like my cousin in australia and things like that so yeah it was uh just felt like we were actually part of like a you know a bit of a worldwide thing like everyone had seen it which I think for like the second division in any country is kind of weird, really, isn't it? I think, yeah, it was probably, it was accentuated by what happened, I think, because there's it's probably far more profile when you're in the Premier League, but so many of those games are sedate or ruined by VAR or, you know, you just, you lose or whatever. So you kind of won't go away from it going, ah, well, whatever. Given their disallowed goal, it's fair to say, to say VAR would have ruined this one as well, but yeah, it's fine. Isn't it? There's a load of like dead rubbers already in that league though, as well, aren't there? Like sort of like Man U Chelsea, you know, just mid-table mm. rubbish. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. We say on the on a show that's going out the day that we're about to play Chelsea, but there is that. But there's that party that ma- that little magical part of you, and it's probably being fueled by what happened on Friday, where you think, well, we could go to Chelsea. There, they played 120 minutes on Sunday. They're out of sorts. And I was saying to the, you in the office beforehand, it feels like Chelsea's a fairly fragile ecosystem, whereas Leeds feels very settled and calm at the minute. And it's I don't know, it's weird, kind of 
Settled and calm, not two things I would have no, described as yeah. on Friday, though. I mean, it didn't feel particularly like But the, the overall direction of travel, whereas it feels like Chelsea just don't know where they are and what mm. they're doing, and they should win because they've got far better players than us. The billion pounds worth of footballers. But there's that little intangible football thing, isn't there, that makes but, you think, well, maybe. So we're not conceding many goals, are we? Like, it was two this calendar year, I think. And I was saying on Monday, I said on our podcast, but I'll say it again, that I think, like, it'd be really nice to win it and then just be like, nah, you can go through though. So we don't have to, <laughs> so we don't have to play any more games because part of me is just wants to crack on with the league and not have the distraction. And I, because I don't think, I don't think we're going to win the FA Cup. We might do, but I don't think so. I think it's kind of implausible. But equally, I don't want to just stop this run, you know, like, I just kind of, if we, if we get, if we got heavily beaten, would it disrupt us going to Huddersfield or would it be good for us? And, I also think what team do you think he'll play? Do you think he's going to play Dan James and Bamford on Wednesday or do you think he's going to save him? And- well, again, to rewind to the show that I did with Phil on Monday, exactly that. It was like, you wouldn't change it too much, but you'd probably just do a bit of change and a bit of tweaking. Yeah, give Dan James a run out, Bamford maybe, that kind of thing, what do you think? I'm sort of, we'd be half tempted to play Matteo Joseph, weirdly, because he's, he's the more obvious Bamford replacement and I wouldn't mind seeing us play I think we've played we've played better with Bamford as a striker because he's more of a like a, a traditional leading front man so I don't know I'd be tempted to stick him in just to see just to see how it goes mm. you going to play junior junior or not or Archie at left back from now on Archie he's going to have to play everywhere yeah we'll have three positions a game mm. yeah who do you love most in this squad I mean say Jorginho he's it, 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 <laughs> the obvious one isn't he I think Archie's more low profile yeah, he, he's lovable in a different way because he's he's one of our own coming through the academy, and he's got the name, obviously. But that, how do you how do you quantify Jorginho Ruta? Well, Jorginho is the lovable one, I think. I think if you you know on your player of the season or whatever, I feel like Ampadu and Rode on a like the actual two guys who are just every week giving it seven, eight out of ten every mm. single week and being really good. But Georgie's just doing that thing where he's really engaging the fans, isn't he? Because of his character and just being fun to watch and fun off the pitch as well. You know, like, it's kind of like Alioski and um, Pontus and, I don't know, someone else, all all rolled into one, you know? He is, as the kids would say, living his best life. I think that's how I feel about it. It's weird, the stuff when we first signed him and when things were going badly for him and for us as a club, him, I'm just thinking back to the early days of him being pictured in kind of some of his more outlandish outfits and people being like, oh, fucking hell. What's this that we've signed? And then, but now you'd see him in that and you'd be like, oh, brilliant, look at him. <laughs> Chris dressed like a big marshmallow. <laughs> Superb. He's expressing himself. That's what he's doing. But it was interesting actually picking up on Patrick Bamford's post-match comments. It's one of the interviews, I can't remember which one he did, but he was sort of saying that, you know, as a senior player in the dressing room, you can sometimes put an arm around the younger players. And he was saying to Jorginho that Jorginho is pr- prone to sort of beating himself up over making mistakes. And you wonder if that's what happened last season when he just felt like he probably made the wrong move, wrong time let's face it, the crowd was absolutely awful last year because we were having a miserable time, all of us. And, you know, we, we finished the season off by singing You're Not Fit to Wear the Shirt. And now another 30-odd games further on, we're in love with them all again. And I don't know, is he, he's kind of the bellwether for all that, isn't he, is, um, is Georgie? To he absolutely loves it though, doesn't he? And he's saying all the right things. He's doing all the We Are Leads and all that matching all together. He, he gets all the little bits and pieces, doesn't he? I think uh, he's just being he's just being himself. And I think, well, there's a, there's a load of things with Ruta. One is like, does it mean we have to thank Victor Orta? Yeah, yeah we can. We, he, Victor Orta can be bad at his job in many ways, but also get some things right. He got Rafinha massively right. But maybe still the 30 or 25, whatever it is, whatever the figure is, maybe that still was a lot for someone that's 
really brilliant in the championship, but mm. maybe not proven. But then again, you, you sign somebody in the championship, like Adam Wharton has just gone to Crystal Palace, who was a decent championship midfielder. That was, he was north of 20 million. Mm. So it's just the economics of the game, I suppose. But we're doing old man shouting at Cloud about the price of things <laughs> in football, aren't we, again now, though? Um, I think Ruter, it was unfortunate for him because he was not the player we needed to get us out of the situation we were in. But that player was also not Mark Rocker, Brandon Aronson, Rasmus Christensen, and all the other people we signed. So he was just he was just added to that list, wasn't he? Whereas we can see now he's a lovely, precious boy and the majority of those are turncoat rat bastards. He yes. also needed a bit of time, didn't he? So like at the beginning of the season, we kind of forget that the first, I don't know how many it was, like eight games maybe, he wasn't that good. And like I think people were probably calling him to get him out of the team and play Matteo Joseph or play someone else because I guess Bamford was injured. Uh, and I, there was one game, maybe it was Ipswich away. Yes, yeah, where he did that little turn and he ran in and scored, didn't he? Yeah, yeah no, he's kind of his like, moment when he arrived. Yeah. Ah, that's what he can do. And then from then he just did it. It's just like, like it's like he just had a light bulb moment of like, oh, that's what you want me to do. Oh yeah, I can do that. It's easy. <laughs> yeah, and you you kind of forget, don't you? That so, and then the Millwall was. I'm just looking at the results now. Millwall was the next win after that, and he had his moment in that where he was just running riot and he. And he scored as well. Let me just finally, before we, we finish, Simon, then segue neatly or seamlessly kind of from talking about our modern day heroes to musical heroes and Niall Rogers, because we mentioned him earlier. I just want to find out what that was like working with Niall Rogers, who is just is a musical legend, isn't he? Yeah, it was great. And like, he was just very much like you'd expect him. It started with a Zoom because it was like, we were just coming out of COVID and he's not a young man. So there wasn't much contact with him. You don't want to be the one to kill Niall Rogers, do you? It wouldn't no. be the greatest thing on the old Wikipedia. <laughs> <laughs> controversy <laughs> uh, so yeah it was just funny so we just uh, on a Zoom me, Rick him and his manager and just like talking to Nan Rogers about making a song again not something you think you're going to be doing on a Wednesday and then made some we, we had like so what we tried to do was we had some songs so we sent him a load of songs and we're like here's some things that we think you, you might want to produce with Kaiser Chiefs and he liked the ones that said dance or were like party the party ones, surprisingly, which is funny. So we did how to dance um, with him and he produced that and then Feeling All Right, which is another sort of like disco-y sort of song, which he actually played. But that, that's sort of the moment where you're like, this is weird. So he's got out his guitar, which is that he's got this one famous guitar, sort of like hit maker or something, isn't it? And uh, started playing jazz chords that I have never seen before on it. <laughs> And um, yeah, that's just, it was just, you know, kind of surreal, really. Not bad though, is it? Not a bad life. No, it's good. And I think it's a fun, you know, it's funny in, in modern music, you're talking about it, different ways of doing things. So you said the cribs are on, but like, I just sent it, I was like, we had this song and like Ricky thought the final chorusy bit sounded a bit like the cribs singing. He was like, should we ask him to sing it? I was like, yeah, fine. So I emailed them. Right. And then they emailed me the music back. Do you know what I mean? It's music can be really, really like, Admini nowadays. <laughs> and the Cribs went to my school. Is that right? Uh, Look at did. that. Makes it you is. think, doesn't it? A few years older than me. But yeah, I remember you, obviously they were pretty distinctive knocking about twins and with like, the, I guess you'd say they were like, look like goths at the time, like long, long black hair and long coats and stuff. So they're, yeah. they're on Trisha. <laughs> were they? Yeah, they're on Trisha. Yeah, that's the fact. All right. Well, just to, just to circle back to famous people who went to my school, Danny Calamatri. <laughs> Leeds no. legend. This has nothing to do with music then. Yeah. <laughs> well, Krista Aykroyd. As well. Same year as you? Uh, no, no. A uh, couple of years ahead of me. A couple of years, couple ahead, of years ahead of me. There you go. Simon, thanks for coming in. Um, good luck with the album. And we will do the next and final clue uh, on the weekly show with us. And we'll sort out one lucky person with um, tickets to see you live, 
the album package and could be seeing you this coming Friday. Uh, homecoming gig in Leeds. Whereabouts is that? Project House. Yes. It's a new venue in Leeds. You played there before? Uh, yes. I haven't played the bass there before, but I have. Our ha- amazing gig, obviously. Yeah. I've yeah. been on stage there, yes. Yeah. With uh, Hopi, Johnny, you yep. guys. We were there, weren't we? That was where our Christmas show was for anybody who's wondering. So that's uh, that's pretty cool. Great night full of interesting um, things. On that note, <laughs> we will wrap it up there and we will catch you soon. Cheers, Simon. Nice one. The Square Ball Podcast. 